Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome to Golik and Smitty. I'm Mike Golik. I'm Jessica Smetana. Welcome to another edition of Golik and Smetty. Mike Golik Sr. here. She is Jess Smetana. And Jess, we have a ton to talk about both on the field and off the field in college football, in the NFL, and certainly on Halloween. As we're taping this, it is actually uh, Halloween. So we have to talk about the candy that you have to be giving out. And the there are hard, fast rules about Halloween. There is no doubt what about are, that. Wait, what are the oh, rules? Oh, well, I'm going to get to the rules. I'm okay. going to get to the rules. You and you were uh, here for the Notre Dame game. I'm getting ready to head back to Arizona, but I've been here uh, throughout the season in South Bend in my place here. I'm sorry we didn't connect. We had... <sighs> Mike, third, third game we've both been at this year, and I have not seen... Well, I, I guess I waved to you at the Ireland game, but we didn't actually get to we didn't, talk well, to Well, no, another. because I was sitting in the stands and you were in the press box, you were on the field. I mean, the <laughs> run of the place that you have is is amazing. Uh, I know, considering last year you you, uh, you stayed at my place uh, during one I, of the games. I'm very disappointed. I, I baked sugar cookie bars uh, that you would have loved. They are the softest. They're moist. They have like a frosting layer. I, I got a little ambitious and I decided I was going to frost like the monogram ND logo onto the, it's like a sheet cake size thing. And then the night before the game, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. So I just kind of like mashed some uh, blue and yellow frosting on top and put gold sprinkles. You would have loved that. So there was Mike. no, fr- there was no fruit in them, right? No fruit. I mean, it's just, it's like two sticks of butter, a cup of sugar. Oh an entire chunk, uh, eight ounces of cream cheese, a couple eggs, flour, I think baking powder, salt, mix it all up, put it in the oven. And then you like under bake it. So it's really soft in the middle. And then you put, you know, a big, big thing of frosting on top. Oh, they're so, and I made the, I made this apple cider donut muffins that I think I gave you last year. So you would have, so I've blown it. So what happened was there was a, a couple who they, at, at our, golf tournament, the Golic Family Foundation or golf tournament at Subpar Classic, they were the couple that we would take to one game this year. And it was this year, it was the pit game this year. So there was a not very nice couple, Notre Dame fans from Columbus. And it was uh, Dave and Ingrid were their names. And, but before the game, like in the morning, we, we took them on a locker room tour. We took them down on the field. Uh, we went to their tailgate, as I told you, we went to their tailgate and hung out for a little bit. And then we were at the game with them as well. 
Jess, for Chris and I, that's a lot of socializing. I, a yeah, lot of I socializing. Know. So once we were at, at, we were at the locker room, the field, their tailgate, then we went home for a couple hours before the game. And that's when you and I were texting and I'm like, there's no way we're making it out there. I mean, I, I need a break. I've been talking to too many people. I told, I'm, I mean, my family was very disappointed because I said there was a small chance you might pop by. And then when I said that you, you weren't, they asked why. And I was like, you know, he's an older guy. He's pooped. What can I say? He needs, he needs to get off his feet for yep. a while. It's and that was the very, truth. It's very he true. wasn't even making very fun. Very true. And I, I'm sorry that we were not able to, uh, to meet it's up okay. there. Next but time. That, that, was, that was at least my excuse, whether it's a valid one or not. Uh, I have no idea. So as I said, we got a lot of sports on and off the field to talk about. But also, again, as as the, the taping of this, it is Halloween. And mm-hmm. yes, Jess, there are hard, fast rules to Halloween. Number one, if you can and are in the position two, you should always give out full-size candy bars. Full-size. <laughs> full-size. Big boys. Now, the one thing is that I found, we've been doing this forever, but you get young kids coming to the door with their parents, you know, like year and a half, two years old or whatever. And they did politely ask one year, hey, do you have the mini candy? I, you know, I don't want my two-year-old what? slamming a monster candy bar and then being up all night. So we have mixed in some mini sizes for the youngsters. But for the most part, we are full-size candy bar people. And I, I say this. Now, this again was back when I was growing up. Um, of what we would do to houses that did not kind of follow suit and or try to give out toothbrushes or gave out pennies oh, or yeah. nickels or whatever or gave out something other than candy because they felt it was their responsibility to not contribute to the sugar in the teeth of, of kids. Cavities. You know what? Yeah. And I tell those people, man, you got to be one day. Forget it. Give out the candy. Don't be giving out. I, we had a year someone was giving out hard-boiled eggs. I mean, are you kidding me? Oh, I'm, what? Oh, yeah. Ew. Oh, yeah. Now, way, way back in the day, maybe that house would be toilet papered later on in the day or, <laughs> or, or something like that. I don't condone that, and I'm not saying do that. But don't be that house. Jess, when I was growing up, if you got, like, people would give out apples. And these nutty people would put, like, razor blades in the apples. You would that never happened. That's there's no way that's ever happened. It, it's happened because what started to go on when I was a kid was they would say, after you got your bag of candy, emergency rooms would say, bring it by and we'll send it through an x-ray. So you would actually get your candy. <laughs> I, I kid you not. And you would find fruit with some things in it like that. Nowadays, I'm sure it's like, you know, an edible. They'll give a kid like yeah. edibles. Well, that, yeah. yeah, that uh, kids do. Well, they do look like candy. Yes. So, yes. yes, that's that's don't do that. I mean, that's come on. Nice. This is a what? I, what what people do on this day blows my mind. The little raisin packets always pissed me, me off because even not on Halloween, like they're disgusting. They like the raisins are all stuck together and horrible. they're like wet. Again, the, that's the worst horrible. of the like, quote unquote, healthy. There's also a ton of sugar in that, yeah. too. Yeah, so it's a horrible. Give me a break. Horrible to give up. I will say, as an adult now, getting a free toothbrush doesn't sound like the worst. Like when I go to the dentist and he gives me like the little travel size right. toothpaste and the and the new tooth toothbrush, I'm like this kind of. But rules. that's cool when you go to the dentist. I don't need that when I'm knocking, you know, halfway <laughs> I agree down with my you. street and, and trick or treat. Yeah, here's you know a, a toothbrush. I'm gonna throw it back Stupid. in your face. Ah, I'm with you on that. Really I mean, I have a dentist in my family, and I I don't even he hands out candy. 
because it's good business for the dentist. Well, it's, right? it's exactly right. Yeah, you're eventually going to get that kid back in his rotting teeth. <laughs> the way I look at it, I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. Do you dress up every year? Well, no, because A, I'm lazy. B, I'm cheap. Uh, C, I'm uncreative when it comes to dressing up. Like, I don't want to spend a ton of money on something that I'm only going to wear one time. Like, I feel the same way about like when I have to go to a wedding. I rewear the same like four dresses to every wedding that I'm a guest at because I just don't, I don't want to spend that much money on like yes, 17 I didn't, different I dresses. I didn't pick you for being this frugal person. I'm not frugal. It's just like there's things that I would rather spend my money so you'll on spend than like your, something I'll wear one so time. So you'll spend your money just not on something like that. Yeah, okay. like flights to go see the Notre Dame Pitt game. That's right. where I'll spend my okay. money. And money well worth spending because wow what a game we will talk about that later but mike i am just lazy like mostly it's just laziness this year i i don't want to give away the surprise but me and my dog willow have a joint halloween costume and we're gonna go take a little photo shoot later oh. and it involves she got a costume hers was like 20 bucks but mine is just borrowing some of my boyfriend's fishing apparel so i'm not gonna spoil it but that's how I got around being lazy this year. You're going to borrow some of his fishing apparel and your dog, Willow, you bought something. I'm trying to think of what you're going to be. I'll send it to you. All right. And you got by without spending any money on yourself. Well done. <laughs> Do you have a costume? Oh, man. I, I, so for uh, Gojo and Golik that we we did earlier, I put on one of the last costumes. I always wore, wear a costume and I would, whenever I called a game, whether it was NFL or usually was an NFL because it was a weekend or during the week in college, I would wear a, uh, a, a costume around, th um, e uh, now I'm saying Thanksgiving, Easter, Halloween. My last one I put on that I wore was Moses because I love the Ten Commandments, nice. Charlton Heston playing Moses. The movie or the actual like biblical law? No, the movie. I dress up like okay. Charlton Heston who plays Moses. Nice. Uh, you know, That's an old reference. Oh, I know. I mean, Moses is also an old reference. Yes, Moses is. Charlton yeah. Heston is. Google it. Look years. it up. One of the great. Played every year around Easter is the Ten Commandments. And uh, yeah, yeah. So, and it's very nice. It's like a robe and a, and a walking stick. So it's very comfortable uh, to wear yeah. as well. And you walk around and part the red yeah, seat. Yeah, and I don't have to put a mask over my head. When I was with Greeny, we were doing Mike and Mike. It was my wife who every year, I mean, she got us like the real costumes the really realistic costumes and we had some really really good ones over the year from batman and robin i was a hulk one year uh we were, what was that gangnam style we went and we actually shot the video of of that <laughs> like song doing the dance. yes yes exactly so we did a, i i love playing up to it i think it's uh i think it's a, a cool thing so i had a lot of fun doing that it is fun and it is also the best this past weekend is the best weekend to go to college football games because all the students dress up and it's always fun to see what they're dressed as i saw a group of nuns walking through the stadium lot at notre dame and i was like oh those are nice cop oh they were nuns. no those are just actual, actual nuns. nuns huh <laughs> the, the, i like all the Whoops. you always find a where's waldo but at the notre dame the, this weekend it was they all sat together so it was a big yes. group of where's Waldo. So they should have spread. Yeah, out yeah, they should have bit. to try and, and really find one. So, all right, we'll jump on the field uh, next. That's enough off the field as far as Halloween, but uh, I hope everybody has a, has a great Halloween. and gets all some, uh, some fantastic candy. And remember what kids, when you bring home your candy, your parents get like a 10% vig. They, they get, they get to take some candy <laughs> off the top because they're your parents. I'm sure it's more than 10% in the Golic household. Yes, it is. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, 
Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. All right, Jess, let's go on the field for college. And in a little bit, we're going to jump back off. We're going to talk to Christy Dosh, who, who started up businessofcollegesports.com. She was a practicing attorney. She contributed to like Forbes and Sports Business Journal, ESPN and others. Very smart in the space of NIL. And I know for me, I need smart uh, to carry me along in that. But uh, we look forward to talking to her about we're over two years now of NIL, of where it's affecting all the athletes, not just football and basketball, but others as well. But on the field, we, we had mentioned that you and I were both at Notre Dame, you know, our, our paths didn't cross. How nice was it? Because we have seen, hell, I saw it when my kids were on the team, when Notre Dame plays down to the opponent. And, you know, mm, Notre Dame was yeah. a three-touchdown favorite against Pitt, and, man, they took care of business. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, Mike. I, I mean, I know Notre Dame just – put up 48 points to USC like two weeks ago, but final score is 58 to seven. And at leaving the game, I was like, I can't remember the last time yeah. I saw yeah. Notre Dame score this many points in person. And it was the first two drives, like Notre Dame, Sam Hartman threw, threw two interceptions, but then there was a punt return uh, by Chris Tyree for a touchdown uh, that from then on, it was smooth sailing, but Notre Dame's defense still is great. They only allowed one touchdown to Pitt's, third string quarterback when they had already put you know most of their starters were out um so you know didn't get the shutout but like when you're when you're asking for like a 60 to 0 yeah. shutout like you're in a good spot and i thought what was interesting was after the game um pat narduzzi's comments which he has now apologized yeah. for uh he said in his press conference it comes down to me it's all my fault but I, you think you get the players that you need to replace players that have left and it turns out we haven't so i'm paraphrasing well, there, but and, and essentially kind of blaming he, it on the fact that the roster turnover has affected them and he said it was his fault for that but he also still said that that was why they lost and, and he said it first and then it's almost like when he was saying it he realized what he was saying and then at, because he said yeah we, we lost some great players at the nfl and we clearly basically haven't replaced them and then he went into but it's my fault I really think it was in his head going, oh, God, wait, uh, should I have yeah. said that? And, man, his student uh, or his his players started tweeting out. That's one of the major differences of back in the old days when I played to now is the instant response that you can get from your players who have tens of thousands of followers that can throw it out there immediately. So now everybody is seeing that line, not the whole the whole presser, but that line. Uh, of which he should not have said. Listen, Deion Sanders kind of went down that road when he said, basically, we need a new offensive line. Now, what they both said is true, but it's something that you really should not be saying publicly, especially when you have another handful of games to play. And in this day and age, you know, of the portal and and social media. So, and these are coaches, well, Narduzzi been around longer than, than Dion as far as coaching, you know, in the power conferences. But that was, that was a little surprising to me, but they both basically said it's on them after they kind of threw their players under the bus, which in this day and age, I think we all agree the players today 
A, have an outlet, and maybe they are a little more sensitive to those. And, I, and I'm not saying soft players. I'm saying a little more rabid ears aware, to hyper aware, hyper aware yeah. of what's going on and then have an outlet to say something about it. I also have an outlet like in the transfer portal. If you know, you're know you a coach who's completely thrown your team under the bus, like maybe you're considering your options now that you haven't had access to as much in the past. So like, you know, whether it's Narduzzi or, or Dion, like all of these coaches that, you know, say, say the thing out loud that maybe, you know, other people can right, say, right. but you shouldn't really say, especially when there's, you know, four or five games left in the right. season. Like Pitt is having oh. one of the worst seasons ever. And Narduzzi's, uh, he's, he's locked in there till like 2030. Like he signed an extension last year. Um, and I was talking to one of my, my family, you know, Pitt, a lot of Pitt fans, a lot of Notre Dame fans, a lot of Steelers fans, of course. Like, what is the, what, what do you, what is the fan appetite for, for Narduzzi at this point after how abysmal their season has been? And I guess like the consensus is like, well, he's sticking around. They, they don't like their offensive coordinator and he'll probably right, leave after right. the season, but like you're kind of stuck with Narduzzi for a bit. And and he's done great things at the program, right? Won an ACC championship, had a first round quarterback in Kenny Pickett, uh, had a great offense a couple seasons ago, but things are going downhill there. And so, yeah, saying that in a press conference, definitely not not the message you want to send to your team after getting your, your butts kicked in Notre Dame. So that was the only real headline out of the Notre Dame game. Uh, this weekend, Notre Dame's playing Clemson. I'm still very nervous about Notre Dame's offense, especially playing against a pretty good Clemson defense. And as bad as Clemson's record is, they're four and four. They're not that bad of a team. They're just like not a very well uh, coached team. And some of Dabo's comments this week, Mike, have made headlines because he went off on his uh, coach's radio show on a caller for uh, Tyler from Spartanburg last night on Monday night. and wow, I, I know you already, you talked about it with Gojo, but what, what were your takeaways from that whole uh, diatribe? So this caller basically was questioning the record of Clemson this year based on the contract, the money that Dabo was making. And Dabo has already gone off on, hey, maybe it's good this is happening this year. Our bandwagon can get a lot lighter with some of these people jumping off the bandwagon. Which is also crazy I, to I, say. I know, I know, it really <laughs> is. Um so this was on his call-in show, and this guy started questioning what he was making, and man, he went off. He told the guy, you're part of the problem. The appreciation, the expectation is greater than the appreciation. That's the problem. He said, we've had 12 10-plus win seasons in a row. That's happened three times in 150 years. Clemson hasn't stiffed the championship for 35 years, and we've won two in seven years. There's only two other teams that have done that, Georgia and Alabama. To which he's right. Listen, he... He justifiably got whatever that was, 10 years and $115 million. He has mm-hmm. made that program one not only relevant, but one of the top programs on a run that they had, right? So, yeah, and, and he started out as an interim head coach, had never been a coordinator, and then he became the head coach. He was one of the lowest-paid head coaches in all Division One football and now got the big deal. So he doesn't have to justify that to anybody. I guess every now and then, Jess, I would say that. Have you tweeted something where you just hit send and maybe you shouldn't have because you got fed up? And I think Dabo hasn't been in this position in a while. What, they're four and four? To where he just got fed up and he talked about the bandwagon people, you know, get off the bandwagon. Now he rips this guy. It's something that he should not do, but every now and then you're just like, man, that felt good to do. But- 
I can't yeah. do it anymore. He definitely, I think, got tired of saying, you know, this is on me. I, I got to fix it. This is on me. I got to fix it. And decided just to like answer, answer this guy with everything that he's probably been holding back this whole season since they lost to Duke in the opener. But um, yeah, it, it, it didn't sound, it didn't sound great. It didn't sound pretty. Tyler from Spartanburg's probably like a hero at work today. Everyone's like, I heard you. Oh, absolutely. Dabo Sweeney Colin show. And, and, and Dabo, listen, piss, he, and Dabo can't win, right? You can't win if you're a guy making no. $115 million and you're. Well, he is winning because. Well, he's exactly. Exactly. But I guess dollars. in the, in the public arena, right? There's no way you're winning in this situation, right? Yeah. I mean, it, you're having a bad year and uh, he is someone who's been extremely outspoken in the past. He he has made a lot of comments about Colin Kaepernick and about other topics that have really irritated a lot of college football fans. He also is, you know, always coming up with, with his, you know, quirky acronyms, like after the 2015 Notre Dame game, BYOG and during COVID tigers, this is going to end real soon. Like he, he gets made fun of and, and like memed a lot too. So that is also part of like Dabo's, you know, Dabo's identity at this point. But um, I will say when it comes to the game this weekend, like Clemson's lost to Duke where they've like fumbled 10 times. They right, lost to right. Uh, Miami in overtime on a, a play in which their quarterback was supposed to hand the ball off and didn't. Dabo, I guess you could kind of say threw him under the bus, yeah, but quarterback yeah. Cade Klubnik also said, you know, that was his fault too. So, um, and then this past weekend is like nine and a half point favorites to NC State they lost. And so like on paper, they're really not that bad of a team and like things have just spiraled out of control for them. They, they've got horrible turnover issues. Their offense is just not improved at all since last year when that was the main concern for them. Um, so I won't say that I'm feeling great about nope. Notre Dame going into Clemson at all. completely agree. I mean, so Notre Dame finishes up with Clemson, Wake Forest, and Stanford. All absolutely winnable games. And I'll say this right now. If Notre Dame goes 10-2, and two, A, they're going to be sick at either one of the losses that they've had this year because they, they could be in contention for the playoff, but they won't be with two losses. And B, if they go 10-2, and two, Jess, would you agree they're going to a New Year's Six Bowl? They're just too big of a yeah. draw to not, to not go to a New Year's Six Bowl, I would think. I think so, and I also think that like the way that the Big 12 looks right now, the way the ACC looks right now, like North Carolina losing two games has has helped certainly in like Notre Dame's chances of being in a better ACC tie-in bowl. Uh, there's also like, you know, it depends, depends uh, what the college football playoff committee ranks them to in terms of where they put Penn state. Right. Um, the first ranking comes out tonight. So we don't, we don't have those in front of us right now, but I do think like they Notre Dame may, if they went out, which I think is a pretty big yeah. if, because I still have a lot of concerns about their offense. Like I said, yeah. despite yeah. the defense being, a, I think a top 10 I think defense. They, and maybe they, I think they get through this cleansing game. I think they win the last two though. I think this is the big one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, well, I don't know. Stanford yeah. has been feisty. I've, I've seen, I've have. seen enough Stanford fight in Stanford that, yeah. I mean, it's the last game of the season. Yeah. Maybe everyone's kind of looking ahead and, and it bites you. It's happened before to Notre oh, Dame. So, yeah, Mike, I don't know. I all I know is that this has been this has been a weird week for head coach statements. Uh, and for once, Notre Dame's head coach is not. Yeah, not not involved in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the other big thing that's been going on in college football, if, and and my thought on this because you can dive more into it, but the whole Michigan sign stealing situation. Yeah. For me, Jess, nothing's going to happen, or nothing's going to happen. This may be resolved in 2026, and then the worst part about that is kids will get punished on the field for something they had no part of, 
because of adults ruining it. That's that's what's going to happen. But it, in my opinion, it is not going to affect this year's team at all. At this point, I agree with you. I'm still curious if more comes out because it feels like there's been such a slow trickle of news like every day for the last 14 days. And now the latest is that Michigan was going to offer Harbaugh a new contract to make him the highest paid college football coach or at least the highest paid Big Ten coach. I can't remember which. Um, and they've tabled that for now. So that is interesting. There's also like an NFL report that came out over the weekend that if Harbaugh wants to leave college football and coach in the NFL, the NFL may still impose some sort of punishment on him uh, and not allow themselves to be a, a quote-unquote safe, safe harbor right. for Harbaugh. That's really yeah, that is. Say. Uh... <laughs> I, I tried saying it on the Levitard show yesterday and got caught up too. Um, but it's been really interesting. And in the meantime, I love the fan sleuths who have been posting videos of the assistant Connor Stallions yes. on the sideline with the call sheet with Hilarious. like signs on yes. it, talking to the DC, talking to the, you know, offensive coordinator caught caught in 4k Mike. And so I, I agree with you. I don't really know. I don't know what could happen. Like they're not going to, they're not going to do anything at this point. If Michigan no. has a legit college playoff shot, the conference isn't going to do anything. Cause that's money for the conference. Exactly right. It's great for the conference if Michigan makes it. The NCAA is, like we've already talked about, a useless, uh, useless regulatory well, well, they are. And, and, and the big thing this. there, the big thing there for everybody to know, even if the investigation like ended this week, Michigan, I believe, gets 90 days to respond. 90 days, the season's yeah. over. So it's it's right. got, not going to affect it doesn't matter. anything uh, this season at all. So let's let's kind of stay in the realm of, of college sports. There's a a big hearing coming up with USC November 7th, I believe, on how the NCA is pushing Congress for an NIL uh, mandate. That whole situation is becoming interesting. People talking about how it's ruining college sports. We're going to talk. Now, I'm not a very smart man. I'm not including you in this, Chess. I think you're smart. But we needed to bring on someone, and we're going to, who is... I'm not a smart man either. You're though. not. You're not a smart man. No, you're a very <laughs> smart woman, though. But we're going to bring on a really, really smart woman who's an attorney and way smarter than me and may use big words uh, to help us uh, decipher all this stuff. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All right, Christy, I, I, this is great for me because I'm not smart. Uh, Jess is, I'm not, so I need to be kind of my hand held along that. the way here. So when NIL first started, and we all called it the wild, wild west, what was your thought of it starting where it was a couple of years ago to where we are now and how it really hasn't gotten any more guardrails to it. You know, it started sort of like I expected, a little all over the place. I was surprised that big national brands didn't get involved right at the beginning, but I think that their legal departments probably held up a lot of things trying to figure out, well, what are the different state laws and what are the NCAA rules and then what are the institutional policies? And now we've seen that all settle out. National brands obviously have gotten pretty involved. Um, and, and I think we've seen the market for it settle out, but we have 
one market for football and men's basketball, and even now some degree women's basketball, and a whole nother market for everybody else. And there's opportunities for everybody, but NIL looks really different in those two different buckets. One of the biggest things that I think people um, hypothesized about when NIL became uh, an option for athletes was that it would bring more equity to sports, both in like leveling the playing field between colleges with a lot of resources and ones without, and also between men and women athletes. Do you think that there's any truth to that now that it's been a couple years and we've seen some some deals get made? The competitive balance side of it is tough because NIL happened at the same time as the transfer portal. And I think those two things happening together are a disaster for competitive balance. Um, And I I don't think has been helpful for that at all. But in terms of the balance between male and female athletes, I have worked with a ton of female athletes. I teach NIL in two different departments at University of Florida, and I was involved in a women's program that Meta did. And so I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of these female athletes who aren't household names. They're not people I had heard of before NIL. And they're making fantastic money. And on top of that, they are getting opportunities that are setting them up for their career after graduation. I just had conversations with two different female athletes this week who graduated back in May. Neither of them are doing what they thought they were going to do after graduation. And that's because of NIL, because it led them to sort of bigger, better career opportunities. So I've loved that about it for female athletes in particular. Uh, About a year ago, I did a, uh, was it a, thing in Vegas that had a lot of the commissioners of the conferences there. And Mm -hmm. at that point, it was like, they were like, we need the government to handle this. And some were saying as commissioners, we need to come up with the rules and the guardrails. Who should be, who should be overseeing this? Should it be, should it be the, the commissioners or should it be the government? So I would generally say I don't want the federal government managing it. The problem is they're kind of the only option now in terms of having one set of rules that would apply to everybody. And that's because of all those different state laws that got passed. The federal government is the only one that can override all of that. Otherwise, I would say I don't want them involved. However, I do not think they're going to be involved. There is no one I've really talked to outside of a couple of people at the NCAA office who think that there's any hope that they're going to get involved. So I don't think we're going to have that. And doing it at the conference level makes sense when I kind of put on my lawyer hat because the conferences are a little less susceptible to being sued over antitrust violations. Not to say they wouldn't be, but they're not as susceptible as the NCAA. And it sort of breaks it apart into smaller units. From a legal perspective, it's the safer way to do it. Whether that's the best way to do it, I don't know. Because if you have one conference allowing a lot more than another conference, we're just going to continue to grow this competitive imbalance. One of the reasons that the NCAA's new President Charlie Baker was brought in was to be able to navigate the federal legislation waters. Would it be seen as a failure if he's not able to get anything done at that level? Because like you said, it, it certainly seems like there is no hope for any anything being passed on the federal level. You know, no one at the NCAA office has said to me that they expect he will get this done. I think that everyone was sort of hopeful that maybe someone like him would know how to navigate this and would be able to figure out a way, but I don't know that anyone is expecting it and judging his entire performance based on that. 
But to me, it seems like the only thing he's really focused on, and I don't think it's going anywhere. I mean, we still haven't seen a bill make it out of committee yet. And a lot of that predates Charlie Baker, so that's not on him. But there's no consensus at the federal level as to what should even be in a bill. You know, some congressional members don't want to pass anything for NIL if it doesn't also have health and safety and concussion-related things in there. And, and I'm not saying we shouldn't have those things, but they're unrelated to NIL. And so there is no consensus and I don't see anything getting done. I'm sure Charlie Baker is great at what he did previously. I'm sure he has great qualities to be the leader of the NCAA, but I don't think he's going to get this done. So putting on that, that former practicing attorney hat and contributor to places like Forbes and uh, sports business journal, when you look at NIL, what should be some of the main things or maybe just a main thing that needs to be in there? And what's one thing that you go, uh-oh, this we have to really watch out for this particular thing? It's so hard because it, what comes to mind for me, first of all, is that I don't want it to be pay for play. You know, if we're going to do that, that's not NIL. We need to be looking at a totally different system. And there's arguments for and against that. But it seems to me that there are a lot of NIL deals happening, particularly when we talk about football and men's basketball, that probably are based on performance and our, our dollar amounts you wouldn't see in sort of a normal influencer market if you look at what say skateboarding influencers or surfing influencers are doing you know the market rates in college football look nothing like what we see for other athletes of a similar sort of age and following um, and so it seems to me that a lot of it is recruiting inducements but we have no enforcement of any of the existing recruiting rules around pay for play. Uh, and I don't know how we fix it. I think a lot of people have decided we've gotten to the point where the only way to fix it is to make them employees and let them collectively bargain. And that then these NIL deals that are inducing them to go certain places or staying certain places will sort of fade away as the marketplace changes towards this employment model. How do you differentiate, though, between a recruiting inducement payment and an NIL deal when, for example, when USC is giving a NIL deal to someone like Jordan Addison last year, transfer portal players like that who are getting alleged a payment to come transfer and then increasing that school's marketability? How do you differentiate between those two? I think that's why we haven't seen any enforcement for the for, you know, what may be inducements. You know, we see these ones on social media and it seems so clear to fans or or even to us as media members, that that looks like an inducement to go to that institution, particularly when the deal happens before the athlete has committed to the institution. But proving that it's an inducement is what is so hard. And you get into these conversations about market rate and is market rate just what someone is willing to pay? I mean, that's what a lot of people would argue. Or is market rate somehow comparable to what other influencers with similar followings are getting? But then you could argue, okay, even if you've got, say, a surfer who has the exact same following as a college quarterback, they're still, that's not the same. It's not the same sport. They don't have the same impact, you know, on a team when you're talking about college football. And so this idea of trying to prescribe some sort of definition of what market value is and then whether something's an inducement versus a arm's length market value transaction. I think that's why we haven't seen enforcement because I think it's almost impossible to do. So as we're continuing to go down the road of NIL and, and see if we ever do get guardrails. What you brought up before, we've kind of heard whispers about it. We've heard or we've seen the Northwestern football players try to unionize. And there are 
While that didn't work, there are a lot of people that believe that's where football at least is going to go. And my rough math says 130 Division I teams at 85 scholarships is probably a little over 11,000 student athletes, as opposed to when I was in the NFL, you're dealing with, you know, 1,800 doing a CBA. Do you really think it's feasible from a football standpoint to go to unionizing, CBA, someone actually running the player side of it and going down that road at such massive numbers? It's so complicated. I, I won't dig like too deep on the legal issues, but you know, one thing I always come back to is about half of the states don't allow state government employees to unionize or collectively bargain. And so student athletes at public universities in those states wouldn't even be able to. Mm. That's why we've seen Northwestern and USC, we've seen private institutions involved in these cases because it's far more complicated for student athletes at public universities. And then the other thing I come back to over and over is when you look at the test for employment, and there's actually the test is changing in December of 2023. But when you look at it, a lot of it is based around the control you have over the athletes, the ability to set their hours and the way that they do their their work, their job. If you say that football players are employees, most legal people, uh, most attorneys I've talked to in this space, and I'm an attorney, but this is not my area of expertise, have said if football players are employees, so is every other student athlete. And so we're not talking about just making football players student athletes, although that's what's at issue in some of these cases. I think ultimately it'll be all or nothing. And so I've begun to hear more rumblings about pulling football out of the university, um, having it be under a separate third party entity, whether that's the college football playoff or someone else. And this idea that actually those teams could all become private and they could just license the trademarks from the universities to still be, I went to Florida, the Florida Gators. Uh, they could pay to rent the stadiums. It, it seems like a crazy idea, but it actually might be the easiest way to solve the problem. So, so again, just so I understand, and again, you're dealing with a small mind here, that would take care of the public schools where, the, where those athletes couldn't become, uh, would not be allowed to have uh, unionized. Because they would be an employee of a private team the same way you are when you're with an NFL team. You would actually pull football out of universities and it would be separate private entities that could be owned by who knows? It could be owned by anybody and they would just license the logo and the intellectual property from the university. They would pay to use the stadium. And so universities would still be making money, but I don't think they'd be making the kind of money they are now because the broadcasting contracts would be with that private entity instead. And so when people first started bringing up this idea to me years ago, I thought it was insane. And now I sort of look at it as like, actually, maybe it solves a lot of problems, because if we start talking about making football athletes employees of athletic departments, then we start talking about whether or not they can keep their 501c3 designation. We start talking about Title IX. And if you have to pay female athletes the same, you could actually solve a lot of problems by just pulling football out. Although I think to a degree, you still have a problem with men's basketball. Too. I've gone numb. I've gone numb. I mean, my God. Wow. <laughs> It's complicated. I wrote I wrote a book years ago, like a decade ago, about the business of college football. And this was an entire chapter. And these were already conversations that were happening back then. And the conversation's just gotten louder and louder. And I think it has become more of a probability. I firmly believe that the National Labor Relations Board is ultimately going to decide uh, the two cases they have, one's men's basketball and one's football, that, that they are employees. I'm not saying that's what I want, but I, I do think that's what's going to happen. 
What is the status of the current complaint that I believe is against USC and the Pac-12 from a uh, group of people representing college football players, which I, I know is like currently being uh, litigated probably as we speak? Yeah, actually, I think the next hearing is November 7th. So we'll know a lot after what happens at that hearing. A lot of the conversation has been about whether or not um, the university and the Pac-12 and the NCAA are what we call joint employers. And that gets into like more labor law than we <laughs> want to talk about. Uh, but there there have been some strong arguments that they are. And I, I really do think that case is headed towards declaring them employees. And I mentioned before, the standard changes in December. And based on the commentary I've read from other lawyers who deal with this kind of law every day, they believe that even if the players aren't successful right now, they can just bring it again after that December change and that the December change is going to make it easier for them. So, you know, when Northwestern happened, I had just started as a sports business reporter. I was transitioning from being a full-time lawyer. And I remember thinking there was no way they were going to be declared employees. I feel exactly the opposite now. I, I am so with you on that. When I saw that Northwestern thing, I said, there's not a shot. This is going to happen. But man, it seems like that's just kind of a light flashing in the future of the way we're going. How far? I don't know. So along those lines, let's say a year, let's say two years from now, in your eyes, what, what NL, NIL looks like now and what it would look like two years from now if we're not in, the, in that other stratosphere of a, of a CBA? I think NIL keeps going like it is. I, I don't see a lot of enforcement happening from the NCAA. I think there's a fear of lawsuits should they try to uh, enforce some things, especially against individual student athletes. You know, the standard changed in January of 2023. You know how in our criminal court system, you are innocent until proven guilty. Well, now in the NCAA, just for NIL violations, you are essentially guilty until proven innocent. They're calling it the NIL presumption. The NCAA enforcement staff can take a post off a social media or a newspaper article and use that as circumstantial evidence that a violation of NIL rules has occurred, say, or recruiting rules, say it's an, an inducement. And then the athlete and the institution must prove it did not happen, which is the total opposite of what we do in our criminal justice system. None of those cases have come public yet. Uh, but I hear there are things happening and investigations ongoing. So I'm watching to see, will the NCAA actually try to make an example out of someone? Otherwise, I think we continue to see exactly what it looks like right now, where collectives are really ruling the football and basketball space. And then, like I said, you have this entire other economy happening with all the other sports that looks a little more like a normal influencer marketing economy. Before we go, I wanted to ask you about the article you wrote um, that pertains to international students and NIL deals, because I know that this uh, new landscape has caused a huge headache if you're an international student. So could you please explain a little bit about what's going on there? Yeah, so international student athletes are, by the NCAA, allowed to do NIL deals. However, their student visas largely prohibit it. They're not allowed to work. And the federal definition of work when it comes to a student visa looks a little different than what we consider going to work. And it would be any active any active activity. So signing an autograph, making a personal appearance, posting on social media, all of those would be considered work and they could lose their student visa. And not only would they lose their ability 
to be here and be in college. But for those who have professional aspirations, there have actually been some hockey players in the past who've had issues where they lost their student visa and then they couldn't get a professional athlete visa to come play hockey in the United States. And there's attorneys who have specialized in those cases. So losing it is a really big deal. And people have told me, well, the NCAA should change its rules. This is not an NCAA rule. This is federal law and it applies to every international student in the entire country, not just the ones who are athletes. And so right now, the only safe activities are to either do the deal while they're in their home country. So I know a lot of international athletes who, when they went home for the summer or they went home for Christmas break, they did deals while they were at home. That's totally fine as long as they sort of complete all of the active work of the deal while they are uh, in their home country or they can do passive activities. So I actually just had an interview this morning on group licensing and trading cards. And a lot of international athletes are able to make money being part of team deals for trading cards or even t-shirts, as long as they don't promote it. So they can sign and say, yes, you can use my name and my image on this trading card, but then they can't talk about it. Essentially, they can't post on social media to promote it, but they could take the licensing money from that because that's considered passive income and not work. So that's what we see most international student athletes doing is either the deals while they're home or those passive deals. Find some friends with a lot of followers to promote it for you. That way you're not promoting it. So this (laughs) uh, last one for me, this is a very general college sports before NIL college sports. Now overall, not just, not just the big ones, basketball and, and football is college sports better, worse, the same because of NIL. I do think it's different for football and maybe even men's basketball versus everybody else. I think for everybody else, it has been a net positive. It's been fantastic. The things I've seen it do for student athletes who are not household names, both in terms of earning money right now and in setting themselves up for the future, just phenomenal. But when we talk about football and men's basketball, I think NIL has impacted some decisions on where folks are going to school or where they're transferring to. And it has impacted some of them negatively where they have been convinced to enter the transfer portal and then not picked up. And now they have nowhere to play. I think I saw a stat the other day that something like 43% of people who enter the transfer portal end up nowhere the next year. And I think NIL has played a negative role in that, unfortunately. Wow, that that's an amazing stat. I did not know. I knew there were some guys uh, and men and women that make some bad decisions, but boy, oh boy, that's a that is a high high percentage. Well, Christy, that's some great info. <laughs> a lot of stuff that I did not know. Now we all know. We really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much. All right, Jess. Onward to the NFL. We go. We've really dove into the college, some on the field, but mostly off the field. So into the NFL. And again, as, as we're, we're taping this, it's the, uh, the uh, trading deadline. So we'll get into it more next week of what happened. The one thing that here, how great would it be? The one trade that did go on a couple of days ago was Leonard Williams going from the Giants to Seattle. Leonard Williams, the defensive lineman, Jess, was still owed about $10 million for this season. The Giants wrote him a check for a little over $9 million, gave him a check for nine mil, and he left for Seattle. So he leaves a team, probably not going to the playoffs, gets handed a check for over $9 million and is going to a playoff team in Seattle. 
That's good living right there. Not a bad turn of events after he had to play in that Jets oh, loss Oh my either. God. That was one of the worst football games that I've ever watched in my, imagine that game ends and someone's like, here's $10 million and you never have to play on this team ever again. It, it, Jess, I think there were 24 punts in the game over a oh, so thousand yards worth of punting. I mean. It was like if Iowa played Iowa. Yeah. If I, <laughs> that's very well done. That is very well done. I'm looking really quick uh, at, at the at the punting. Yes, it was Thomas Moorhead for the Jets punted 11 times. Jamie Gillian for the Giants punted 13 times. So 24 punts for over 1,000 yards. It, I mean, it was easily and, – and it was so bad, we got extra time. I mean, they went oh, overtime. Just, uh, and, and, and just put in the mercy rule, but for the fans and like let it end in a tie. Between both teams, <laughs> four for 34 on third down conversions. It was horrific. Oh, I may, maybe only to be outdone by the, the, the Monday night game. Uh, can the Raiders be any worse? Jameer Gibbs, no. the running back for Detroit, and Detroit won this game in a double-digit win. He had 31 touches in this game. 26 runs, five catches, I believe for 189 yards. The Raiders ran 45 plays and I think had 157 total yards. He outgained the entire Raider team. The Raiders and Jimmy Garoppolo did not complete a pass to a wide receiver in the entire first half. Uh, stunning to That me. is very Iowa of them yeah. too. I think ah. there are certain teams – and maybe like maybe it's just coaches that just we should not allow on prime time until they prove something to us. And I think the Bears fit this criteria as well because the Bears were on in prime time on. Oh, Sunday I nights. called that game, Jess. And, I called that game. Uh, and my, Mike, that's a team that no one should have to Jess, watch. In two Bears weeks, fans. now I'm not calling a game this Sunday. I'm moving everything back to Arizona. In two weeks, the Sunday night game I'm supposed to call Jets at Raiders, and now. We can, they can flex. Now, flexing is more complicated than just saying, I don't want that, give me this. There's a little more to it than that. Again, things that I don't know, people smarter than me figure all that out. But you got, I, basically I was told, don't make your reservations yet. Because <laughs> we need to wait and see <laughs> what the game's going to be. What else do, what else do we need to wait and see? Like we, they should have, as soon as Aaron Rodgers is Achilles, tendon tour in week one they should have flexed the jets out of every primetime game although they are better than the Raiders, i was gonna I say I, I think the jets will definitely be the, the only good thing about that i'll say is i get to go back to vegas and gamble again it would be my third time in vegas this year that's why it is it is just absolutely stunning um what has gone on those are some of the direct games and then you know, look, you have uh, you have the 49ers losing three in a row. You had Kansas Jeez. City losing to Denver. Kudos to Denver. Sean Payton finally getting that big win. Yeah. And now Kansas City and Miami, two of the most hyped up of the AFC teams, are playing at 930 in the morning Eastern Germany. on Sunday. Are you going to be in Arizona? Because then this game would start at like 730 in the morning. I, I will be in there. Arizona and I will be awake by then. But, and, and that's what I, you're an early, riser, I, but, and, I, and love now being on the West coast where NFL Sunday starts at 10 in the morning. I mean, how great is that?
That I mean, th this is what East Coasters are gonna experience now with this Germany game because I mean we've had a couple London games already this this year, but none of them have been quite as hyped up as this game where you're gonna watch teams that potentially yes. could meet again in the playoffs playing against one another. Um, and and you know Kansas City's coming off of a tough a tough loss, but Mahomes had the flu and maybe that impacted it a little bit. Um, but yeah, we're, it's. It's funny to me that we're we're treated with that in the morning, and then I, I assume the primetime game again is going to stink. But maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll be pleasantly Kansas surprised. Kansas City losing, San Francisco losing. Now we're saying, who the hell is the best team in all of football? It seems to me. Maybe everyone just Yeah, stinks. a week-to-week -week thing where defenses are leading the way. But uh, we will continue to talk about all of it on the next episode of One Golik and Smeddy.